Movies You Should Love, online at moviesyoushouldlove.com. I'm Dean Tripp, and I've been on your show once before. Yes. And uh, that time we talked mostly about Chris Nolan films <laughs> and uh, other comic book related things. But uh, yeah, I think a big theme of our uh, talk was like uh, directors who decide to make good movies. We talked about Edgar Wright. We talked about right. Christopher Nolan. Guys who say, I'm going to make a good movie and then set out to make a good movie. Yeah, I like, uh, I really like those guys. Uh, in contrast to that, I'd like to talk about The Hunger Games a little bit. Okay. In that uh, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, it's really great that uh, middle schoolers and high schooler, especially girls, uh, read. Mm-hmm. Like, that's good for the world mm-hmm. uh, that we have readers. Uh, because if we didn't, though, uh, this movie would have made like twenty dollars. <laughs> it's a terrible film. <laughs> they just like messed everything up. I haven't read the books, but I've been told about them by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, the movie is awful. <laughs> okay, uh, let's let's talk about that because I mean, as someone who has read the books, I felt like it was a pretty faithful adaptation. You know, it's that's the thing. I keep hearing from people that like, oh, but that's what happened in the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that the main problem with the movie is that they adhered too closely to the book instead of improving upon it. Just like, say, if they did Batman the Animated Series mm-hmm. and it was a you know panel-for-panel panel adaptation of right. uh, Detective Comics 27. Instead of improving upon the Batman mythos, it just, we got to start at the beginning, so it's faithful. Yeah. No one would have watched that show. Right. Um Hunger Games uh, has so many weird things going on, and the directing's so weird. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I they, they just announced that Gary Ross won't be back for the next movies. <laughs> I don't think anybody shed a tear. I know. I just read an article, I think, at uh, Bleeding Cool, where they mentioned that uh, that he had said that he wasn't going to do it because he doesn't have time to work on the story. Mm-hmm. And they inferred from that that uh, the... Uh, who is it? Lionsgate? Yes. Lionsgate is putting... Uh, the speed of the release ahead of quality. Mm-hmm. I disagree entirely. I think they well, look yeah with that like, philosophy. Yeah, that terrifies I mean, me. I mean, because look, they spent like sixty, seventy million dollars on this thing, mm-hmm. and it looks like it. You know, like everybody's complaining that John Carter cost you know two hundred and fifty million dollars, and that it's not going to make all this money back. Uh, and now it's it's gotten into the you know almost profitable range. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, every penny of that. Uh, John Carter money is up on that screen, and uh, yeah, Hunger Games. I I think they must have paid everybody a lot of money because <laughs> it looks like they bought the costumes at REI <laughs> <laughs> and just shot it, you know, on the blue screen stuff that George Lucas uses these days. Well, I would say you know, kind of. It's kind of. I understand where you're coming from. I do. Um, the, the The difficulty I kind of have with some of it, though, is that even in the books, is that it is a world, it's a very believable world. It is a futuristic kind of sci-fi setting, but at the same time, this, a lot of the science fiction gets shoved in the background to the point that if you're not paying attention, you're not going to notice it. And so like with something like John Carter, it's clearly Mars. It's clearly an alien race. It's clearly a lot of you know, things that we're not used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Where in the, um, and so you have, to, you have to show that. You have to portray that. Mm-hmm. In um, The Hunger Games... It's like they almost have to wear clothes like that. To a certain extent, I could understand a certain stylized approach well, to some of the clothing. I feel like you could have 
things like the things. Mm-hmm. It's just that the things they chose were ugly. And that's just me as a <laughs> okay. visual guy, as a guy that runs a costuming website. Uh, right. The only outfit that Katniss has in the movie that is at all, uh, I think, film-worthy is her early hunting outfit, which yeah. is gorgeous, right? Yeah. But it's so good. Excuse me. It's so good. <clears throat> It's so like attractive and uh, fashionable that it makes no sense that she has it in that time period. In that setting, yeah. Right, when she has no money and they're all supposed to be starving. I can uh, see that. And she's got like, you know, I guess it's supposed to be her dad's jacket is what everybody's told me. Yeah. But she's clearly had it perfectly tailored to her, <laughs> right. fit her. And she's got like the black tights and the sweet boots and she just looks super awesome. And right. she's got, she doesn't even, it's not that she just goes hunting. It's that she's got like every required accoutrement of a hunter. Right. You know, down to like these weird finger grips and mm-hmm. all this jazz uh, that's totally unnecessary for your poor sympathetic character. So uh, you you would suggest doing something along the lines of maybe maybe she is a great huntress or whatever at the beginning, but she right. has a bow that she's had to create. She doesn't have all the equipment she needs. Yeah, and then maybe she bad. gets that in the games and almost is like, oh, wow, this is so much nicer. Even though I have to kill people with it, right. I have this even cool glove. Exactly. Even if she had like her dad's jacket and it's too big for her, mm-hmm. and then later she gets like a sweet leather jacket that's her own jacket. Right. Whereas like the outfits in the games are so ugly like they just suck (laughs) training outfits and the games outfits are like the worst outfits in the movie and i'm talking this is a movie that has people just wearing day glow crap you know walking around but uh yeah so in the beginning she should have had like you know equipment that looked worn and beaten up and she should have been wearing like dirty clothes and you're like why am i watching this movie about this ugly girl you know (laughs) and then like she gets cleaned up at some point you know it's just like traditional you know, kind of thinking about story, and I'm sure this is the way you perceive it in the books, is that mm-hmm. they're these dirty kids having to fight. But in this movie, it's all these beautiful kids right. uh, kind of lucking into surviving or lucking into not surviving. There's really right. no distinction between the characters that survive and the characters that don't, yeah. uh, which is very problematic in a and, from a story point of view. And you said something very interesting on Facebook uh, the other day. Um, which is something I completely agreed with, even though it departed ever so slightly from the book, which is uh, you talked about as each uh, contestant was rated, you talked about how Rue and maybe even right. Katniss should have ha- received a lower rating. Yeah. So it's like it, they do the rating section. Katniss gets the highest rating. Yeah. And then she goes on to win. Yeah. Well, where's the tension in that? Like, where's the underdog status? Like, right. if you poll people, like something like... 80 or 90% of people will always vote for an underdog. That's why almost every story has got your down-on-their-luck character, Mm -hmm. even if they're cool, even if you're invested in them. And that's part of that is why you invest in them, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's Marty McFly or whoever. It's that kind of guy where it's, you know, the car got wrecked and, ah, you know. (laughs) Yeah. And the prince, you know, the the super, or whatever Mr. Strickland is in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) crap for being late and he's never had hair is all i know (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's all that jazz where it's like you get invested in these guys where everything's not going right for them and katniss clearly has that stuff but it's not made a a point of it in the movie it's it's constantly trying to convince you that things are bad for her i think that wasn't don't seem that bad i think that was a missed opportunity because in the book you definitely have a fear for the uh 
the uh, oh, I always forget their name, but they're these guys who train almost all their life. The uh-huh. they're not tributes; they're all tributes. It's the careers, and they're supposedly supposed to be these really awesome fighters that everybody's scared of because they have more access to more weapons, more training. Um, and they, you don't really get a sense of that necessarily in the movie because they have to keep they, the story moving so quickly. Are they in the movie? Yeah, they're the, they're that team that get all the weapons in the in the center, and they. Make the oh, big pile. You mean the kids that grew up in the nicer place, training to constantly exactly. They're constantly training because they know that they might get called to the games, and so they're going to represent their district the best. So right. they get trained constantly. Yeah. Um, so since you can't really show that, as in the way that it's discussed in the book, that would have been a great way to do that to set the you know to set the uh, audience you know put them in a place of unease. If Katniss, who we love, is rated at a three or a four. And yeah, Rose yeah. rated at one or two. Even if she'd been rating very like five, you know, something really right. median or seven, even something right. that's like you know above average. But then you show and some then, of those bad guys like at ten and eleven or whatever the right. height point was. All of a sudden, like, oh, she's going up against somebody. The problem who could with it is that her. you're also validating the rating system of this oppressive government. That's <laughs> right. stupid. You shouldn't be saying that their judgment is actually correct. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they were right. They was like, Katniss is 11, and then she wins, you know? Yeah. They should be thinking in the wrong terms, like judging people on their killing ability, but Katniss wins by surviving, that kind of right. thing. Right. So they spend a little bit of time on in the movie, but not enough to make you feel like she survived because of her massive skills. It right. really reads as a guy that hadn't read the books. Whereas I think for people who have, and they're knowing which scenes are coming, mm-hmm. whereas I'm looking at it going, she just keeps lucking into surviving. She has so little agency in the film. Yeah. She, she makes almost no choices at yeah. all, except for the first one I, and the last one. You are so, not going to like the next two movies <laughs> at all, <laughs> even if they change the design. Because honestly, what you're describing and what was interesting to see your reaction was mm-hmm. your reaction to the first movie was my reaction to the third book. Uh huh. Because you know, spoilers for people who haven't, but who haven't read them. But Katniss is not a hero in my book in any right. really shape or form. She is somebody who constantly drags her feet into any situation and is constantly going, no, 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 I don't want to do this if it's not my own free will, my own decision. She yeah. only cares about herself and her family to the point I mean, of there's a there's a big revolution and rebellion that takes place in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. And the rebellion, they're looking to her because she's become this symbol due to her actions in the Hunger Games. And she doesn't want to be their symbol because she's like, oh, now you're just like the government and you just want me for this. And she never is able to stop and see the big picture until she decides, oh, now you've made me mad because you killed so-and-so. Now I'm going yeah. to do this thing. And it's, it's exactly like what you were kind of talking about with this first one where um, she doesn't really get proactive until the final, you know, 20 minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have, a, you know, I have a problem with her agency in the film, but I, I don't think she has to be a hero for me to invest in her. You know, there's a lot of shows that are incredibly popular where you don't really feel like the lead is the hero, like mm-hmm. The Sopranos or Breaking Bad or even Dexter. Mm-hmm. Dexter's a little more heroic. He kills people that need to die. Yeah, he kills but, Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, no, but you're right. No, like Boardwalk Empire, Game of Thrones has like, sure. nobody to root for. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, and you get invested in them because mm-hmm. of who they are. And I think the problem with the film is that Katniss isn't anybody, you know? You, you learn about characters and stories through their decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, my main problem is that she doesn't make any except for the decision to join, you know, be tr- 
uh, take the place of her sister as tribute. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That yeah. scene, you're you know that that's you know the cool thing to do. Absolutely, that's what you would want to do. And um, and then in the end, when she kind of like forces them into having what the resolution, right? Sort of. That's that's a pretty cool moment. Uh, but think about this, okay? So say if. Because, you know, she's on the train and after she's been selected and she's watching these past events, you know, Mm -hmm. (coughs) what if instead of everyone telling her like, uh, you know, like Woody Harrelson shows up, which he's good in the movie, but it's such weird casting that you're like really jarred by it. Yeah. Um, I really was hoping he'd be in more of it once I heard who was going to be playing Haymitch. I was like, oh, he's going to have a lot to do. Not yeah, really. <laughs> it, it you know it's he's he's actually I really think he does a good job, mm-hmm. but his face with that wig and you're like who what why is Woody Harrelson in this movie <laughs> you know it's really jarring yeah um, especially the way he's introduced uh, later on you fall in love with him you know as yeah. a character I think he really sells all of his scenes and I and, and I you know Jennifer Lawrence the lead mm-hmm. great job also. Mm-hmm. Uh, PETA, I can't stand for crap. But oh, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, I don't understand what the likability factor. Like fans of the books, obviously want them to get together. But the, well, uh, it's it's a very Team Edward, Team Jacob thing because I personally like PETA from the books, yeah. and every like my wife loves Gail, who I yeah, cannot see, I'm, stand. I'm team Gail, hundred percent. Because like, what's we'll that? As oh. a guy who's only read the plot synopses <laughs> of the books <laughs> yeah. on Wikipedia. Gale frustrates me because in the same way, I feel like he is not a real character. He shows up to complicate the story. I know, but did you see how <laughs> handsome he was in the movie? Like, he he's was, handsome. He was kind of young. He's like a little guy. You know? <laughs> anyway, uh, but okay, so she's on the thing going to the, to the um, capital. She's on the train. Yeah. What if she watches the, you know, video of the past things and she sees what the guys are doing? She can sense, maybe in a way that capital people can't, but by watching the expressions and actions of the past players, that what they're doing is appealing to the viewers for sponsors. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so they're getting extra stuff by appealing to, you know, their their want for a a, a kind of compelling story and getting sponsorship. And uh, so that becomes like part of her plan. Maybe she even takes notes and is like, I'm going to, these are the things that yeah. I am going to do. Yeah. And uh, having agency, like just citing things is what makes me like characters. Yeah. <clears throat> or say she gets to the Capitol and, you know, she's got to go meet with Senna. Mm-hmm. Um, what if she's seen the fire ring, like a small decorative element? Maybe yeah. even Senna's wearing it. Maybe it's just like a cool thing. Like some little, little Mockingjay pin. No, no, no. What if, what if some, you know, the fire dress that she wears? Oh, yeah. What if no one's, you know, because, and they played in the movie like no one does that, right? Yeah. But it's clearly a technology that exists and is totally right. easy to do. Yeah. But what if it's only used in a small fashion? Like someone wears like a ring or a pendant. Got it. And gotcha. she goes, I want a dress of that. Yeah. The whole dress. Yeah. And that way, or the whole costume. And then, you know, it's like, it's got double meanings, you know, mm-hmm. because like people used to set themselves on, and still do. There's a whole rash of it going on in China right now, but yeah. people set themselves on fire in protest. And that's how I feel about these games and what, mm-hmm. you know, the capital makes us do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's also just going to be super. And like, so maybe that's her intention. Then Cine- uh, yeah, Cine could be Cine could be. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is, 
this yeah. is kind of extreme, but I can do it if that's what you want me to do because he does yeah. have that capability. I think she, he'd be like, that's brilliant. People are going to dig it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she's thinking about protest and he's thinking that people will think it's hot. Yeah. Anyway, things like that where she decides on things. Mm-hmm. There's so few moments in the movie where she's just like going to do something. Here's an interesting thing. I wonder sometimes because the books, as frustrating as they are, the, the books hold this place in my heart, if you will, in that they uh, they make me incredibly angry at the actions that the uh, main characters make. The things that they do, I'm like, why would you do that? Why won't you do this? Why don't you step up? Yet they're so well written, I almost wonder, when I look at Katniss, if that's not Suzanne Collins' like commentary on society or teenagers or something going, you don't ever care until someone actually pushes you to the cliff, you know, more or less. You don't take responsibility. You don't take action. You have all of this at your disposal, and you're watching Jersey Shore. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's clearly a theme in the movie uh, as well, because... But they don't really convey a lot very well about it. Like, it's... Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I'm, you know, for me, uh, I I write characters. I, I read things that have strong characters. I like choices even if they're not heroic but the movie does want you and and i again haven't read the books and Mm -hmm. you have told me many times that she's a selfish character but there's a way to write selfishness as a thing you can get into do you Mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah even though that's really counter to my you know hippy dippy star trek the next generation (laughs) batman's here to save everybody mentality um but uh she just if she went into the games you know like you could make two choices, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I will murder everyone in this game to right. get back to my sister right. who I care about. And this is dumb, and that they're making me do it is terrible, mm-hmm. but I will do it. Yeah. Or, I will not participate in this thing. At all, yeah. I protected my sister from not being selected, mm-hmm. and now I know that I'm here to die. Mm-hmm. You know? And then maybe through some sort of ingenuity or survivals, she ends up being like, you know, the last two people kill themselves and she wins. Right. That kind of thing. Yeah. But well, that's, yeah. The games are set up in a way that you just have to survive. <laughs> you don't have to have done anything. Right. And, uh, but instead she kind of like, you know, attacks people sometimes, refuses mm-hmm. to attack people sometimes. Right. Gets she, saved a lot. Yeah. For no reason. Like the black dude that shows up and saves her for protecting Rue. Yeah. He knew. Yeah. Okay, but like you were right there at the right moment to save yeah. from that crazy chick with the knives. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think the character I liked the most in the movie was Rue. But yeah. again, what I was, you know, we were talking about before is if she'd been rated really low. Yeah. I would, you know. So everybody could be really afraid for her. Right, and then she turns out to be kind of smart with the idea of the you know the bees, which whatever they call the bees, and tracker jackers. What is that about tracker jackers? Everything. It's kind of it's kind of like Avatar, the uh, the cartoon where almost half all the animals in this uh, world are amalgamation of two other animals. Uh huh. And so the tracker. That's ja- cool. I like that in Avatar. Yeah, um, and track- the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you said, I'm not... The Legend of Korra and uh, Avatar, (laughs) The Last Airbender. Dude, Legend of Korra is off to a good start. Oh, man. I'm really excited about that. That's like the anti-Katniss right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways. She's got these selfish qualities, but she has agency and chooses things. Yeah. And obviously the people that made 
Avatar know what they're doing. But that's actually a really great example of what you're talking about, is somebody who, she doesn't have the patience to do what people are telling her to do. She has these abilities, and so she's going out and doing her thing. And she's almost right now, the way the the pilot miniseries ended was, she might have proven her point a little bit. You know, she might be like, no, I need to do this my way. And she might get her way, she might succeed in becoming the next Avatar that way. Yeah, it's a really good way of conveying kind of self-determination, which is, you know, there's an element of selfishness to that, but kind of following your own light or bliss, you know, that kind of like, the things that you're interested in will lead you to learning things. Mm -hmm. They may not be the things you set out to, but you will learn things by following, you know, the things that you're interested in. Yeah, but yeah, uh, the Tracker Jackers were a, a mutated bumblebee, more or less, wasp. Uh-huh. And in the book, they down. I mean, in the movie, they downplay those big dogs at the end. Those yeah, were. I heard those were mutations. Book. You know, yeah, I heard mut- in books mut- they were like mutated people or something. Yeah, in the book, there's a very strong implication that the capital has taken all the dead uh, tributes from this round uh, and turned them into werewolves. And oh man, that's them. so much cooler than the crap they did in the movie. Yeah, like in the, in the movie, it's like we made a CGI thing, and oh, also it's real now. Right. And in the, in the yeah, in the book, they all end up, you know, around the, the cornucopia and Katniss is looking down and she's recognizing the hair color and the eyes of other tributes, including one little mutt, which is out, in, you know, behind the rest of the group, which is clearly Rue. And it's horrifying. Holy crap! <laughs> That's so much better than the crap they did in the movie. Yeah, like because in the book you're just like, no. No, because like you like, uh, but it's really uh, weird because they never touch on it again, and so it kind of comes out of left field. Like, wait a minute, they have the ability to take dead people, reanimate them into dog monsters, things. Yeah, what is that? <coughs> um, but yeah, that and that's kind of like same with the Mockingjay. It's like this specific kind of bird that was kind of bred to be a you know kind of a hyped up mockingbird, basically who can you know repeat sound. And so yeah, it's like it was some of those things weren't. Quite, I did like the way they explained it, where they would cut to the the color commentary of Stanley Tucci going, "Hey, you probably don't know what a tracker jacker is. It's that bee. Don't die." <laughs> <laughs> well, that was certainly helpful for people like me. Yeah, but actually, you know, to be honest, it wasn't because they're just bees, and so yeah. all you need to know is that they're bad, bad bees. Right. And so you they're go, super oh, poisonous no. bees. Yeah. Uh, that cause hallucinations and whatnot. Well, a lot of what you're, what I'm kind of hearing from you is a lot of the same frustration I had with the first seven Harry Potter movies. <laughs> really? I'm a, um, I'm a totally, there's a great transition to talk about adapted things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the third one. Yes. And oh, I feel like favorite. the rest of them are pretty weak. I think they're watchable. I think the second to last one was pretty good. Uh, yeah. The last one's all right, but the second to last one was pretty good, and, yeah. and I was surprised because I've been pretty disappointed in them since the oh, third man. one. Oh, man. The third one I adore. There's nothing about it, that. Oh, man. Alphonse Cuarón is like a genius. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's like Columbus sets up the, the world, mm-hmm. and you're like, cool, I love these books. And, and Alfonso Cuarón just like ran with it. It was like, cool, I'll go do this. Yeah. He hits it hard, like out of left field, with so much more uh, creativity and ideas, yeah. and the cutting out, that it's cutting in the out real all world. the stuff that you don't need, and focusing on this one story, which is introducing Sirius Black yeah. and all of this really cool stuff. And talk about good casting. Oh, I love Wait. Gary Oldman. 
Ah, oh, so good. But yeah, and all the costumes and that, like almost all my favorite moments from the entire film series. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'm not a huge fan of most of them, yeah. but is are in that because I think about that one a lot. I think it's the only one I own. Yeah, uh, I also um, like time loops. You know? yeah, oh, me too. Yeah. As soon as he's Anything like, I, I can go back up. in time. I'm like, okay, you just you won. Uh, it, you know, the thing is, like, the book that is one of the best books, mm-hmm. and then you know, it just ties neatly together in a little bow. I and love that. The movie does the same thing, and you're like, oh, I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And but, also, that's the first one with the new Dumbledore, and I thought he did a, a really, you know, yeah. I obviously loved Richard Harris. Yeah. Um, but uh, Michael Gambon brought a whole different kind of vitality mm-hmm. to it and, and was excellent. But yeah, um, and, you know, we recorded a podcast, uh, Lauren and I did fairly early on, about the process of adaptation. Mm-hmm. And I, I really would, I would love for film studios and for audiences to get away from the idea that it has to be exactly like the book. Right, and that's a, one of the best things about the third Harry Potter movie, right. Azkaban, is that it's it cuts all sorts of crap out. Yeah, it's great in the book. Yeah, and would have tied up the movie in kind of needless meandering. Yeah, but that feel, Hunger Games has right, and I feel like you know that third Harry Potter movie is a better introduction to the world of Harry Potter for those of you who haven't read the book. You don't have to have read the book. Here is this wonderful world that exists with magic and creatures and all this right. stuff that endless possibilities. We can travel through time in this world. It's funny because there's there's a tension for me in films and stories uh, in general where what you want is for it to feel full. You hate kind of slow moments yeah. when they feel slow. Yeah. But what's actually what's also nice that sounds counterintuitive if you think that is that there's like room to breathe in a movie. Mm-hmm. Alphonse Cuarón in the third Harry Potter movie used this really nice technique of uh, cutting back to the. Whomping Willow, yeah, having different things happening with the seasons, yeah, and you've got like just the scene that you know. I think anybody working on the Hunger Games would have cut out so that you know you could get to the next thing, mm-hmm. and it's not in the book. So what's it doing in there anyway? Yeah, it's a film device to make you see the passage of time, which yeah. not only do you need for a story that takes place across a year yeah. or a school year, yeah. but you also need uh, in a movie that's about time specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's. I just I love that kind of thinking, and I feel like uh, I, I'm. Uh, Gary Ross has made some pretty good movies. Mm-hmm. This is not one of them, man. Like the the pacing of everything is so wonky and strange. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so slow, and I feel like the explanations for things are always in the wrong order. Okay, you know, like. I like to be told what's happening by things that don't feel like I'm having exposition shoved in my face. Right. This movie is like, you know, character moment standing with, you know, an expression and then exposition, then character yeah. moment with an expression exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And it's like, they also didn't do a good job of conveying where people are watching the hunger games during right. the games. Right. Like, uh, you saw very little of the capital, despite seeing you know crowd shots of things. It still just didn't feel like you understood the world. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely understand. Yeah, because again, I had the same I had the same issues with Harry Potter, where I was watching it, going, "Now, why is that a big deal? Why are we spending time with this character in this place?" And people yeah. were like, "Oh, because in the books, this thing happens." I was like, "Well, that's fine. It just didn't make for an interesting five to ten minutes of film." Or here's a I moment. really. I get trying to appeal to uh, people who have read the books because obviously they're very popular. Yeah, and uh, the the same with Harry Potter. But I feel like the worst Harry Potter movies are ones that are are too close to the books. 
No, that, yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. Cause it's, because there's more people that are going to see the movie. Yeah, it's a different language, you know, between a book and a movie. It's like you just have to tell the story a little bit differently. It, it flows in a different way. With a book, you can take a thousand pages to meander your way through this world. You just don't have that luxury with a well, two-hour like, movie. Know, uh, another great example of adapting a story is uh, the Two-Face storyline in The Dark Knight. Right. You know, where they didn't use Harvey Dent's origin. At <laughs> you know, all. yeah. That's not his origin at all. They did a better one. <laughs> right. Right. Everything about the movie leads you to this, like, whole split in his psyche mm-hmm. that makes sense for him, mm-hmm. you know? The amount of pain that he's going through, like, the in the in the comic books, um, acid's thrown in his face at a trial, and it covers his face with, a uh, uh, like, a manila envelope or something. Right. Half his face is burned away, right? Which is what we saw in Batman Forever, and it just, you know, didn't really do anything but i mean it's the traditional right you know mythos for two-face but it, yeah um, and the film what they did is they set up a love interest that's also a love interest for bruce mm-hmm. and they have this uh split decision about which one of them is going to die mm-hmm. he has his coin so he's obviously someone who doesn't believe in uh just chance right you know and then when it comes down to it it could have been him or the woman he loves mm-hmm and it's him, you know, that survives, but he loses half his face, and the coin, as it's scarred, like, that scar is the explosion that killed his wife, you know. Uh, his girlfriend, Dick. yeah. And so, like, Batman bringing it back to him, like, hey, buddy, I got your coin. It's like, oh, thanks, dude. Let me rub this in your face. <laughs> and seeing where he just reacts to that is so good. Like, yeah. they, they nailed who he is and why the world changes for him on that day, you know. Right, and, yeah, that... In comparing it to Batman Forever, kind of what I was trying to say was, in Batman Forever, it felt very like, oh, well, we have to show this. This is, right. the, this is the history of this character. Yeah. Batman was there, tried to save him, it didn't work, and it doesn't really work as a, an emotional part of the story. Where you watch The Dark Knight, and it's horrifying yeah. when it happens to him. You, you can't believe that Batman's losing this situation, you know? And when you see that the look on his face when Batman runs through the door mm-hmm. and he realizes that he's there to save him and not the girl. He's angry and it just, yeah. it's perfect. And it That's so it. good because the original origin is basically about vanity. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like he's this super good guy that we're all like on his side and he's Batman's friend. And then, yeah. Oh, he, you know, his face is guarded. And now he's like a super villain. Yeah. Like <laughs> in the, you know, the typical origin is, is, you know, really 1940s, 1950s kind of super villain thinking where, something goes wrong for somebody and they become a bad guy. Right. But in order for that to happen, you kind of have to be a douchebag to begin with. Yeah. You know, whereas they always told us that Harvey's his friend. Yeah. And And the animated series did it in a kind of similar way to the dark Knight as well. Right. Where they, uh, he was like on a catwalk or something and something exploded. And it was like, it it worked more, it worked better within the context of the story than just having like this quick splash yeah it's so much smarter to avoid getting stuck in the same yeah you know the the stuff with uh, adapting things i think it's a little easier with superheroes than a a popular novel Mm -hmm. because you've got 70 years of contradictory you know yeah so you really can pick and choose what you want and go this is the story we're going with and you can do like nolan did and just disregard it and do something better you know um especially with minor characters you know Mm mm-hmm but yeah, I just, uh, I, I don't feel like the end of Hunger Games meant anything. <laughs> or, That's fair. Like, uh, you know, 
she gets to go back home, I guess. Right. And she has, she's, is she going to be rich now? Is that yes. the deal? Because they didn't, her, I mean, her, obviously you see Haymitch having money, sort of. But it, Whoever wins the Hunger Games is kind of set up for life. They get, okay. they get a nice house. She basically gets to live in a mansion in District 12, which is horrifying okay. to her because you saw the Appalachia world, third world country that she was living in. And uh-huh. now she has this really nice house and she's set up with food and money basically for the rest of her life um, until the capital comes back, basically. because she, Is that the start of the second book? Yeah. Well, the second book basically begins with her and Peta doing like this tour of the, the districts um, because everybody wants to see the victors. Yeah, and then she goes back home, and she's living in this nice place, and she's being taken care of, and she's doing her best to kind of get, take the food that she has that the capital's giving her, and she's giving yeah. it to people. <coughs> and then the capital comes back and goes, "We're having a new Hunger Games. It's time for the Hunger Games this year. It'll be the victors of all previous years will be fighting instead of right the I, the lottery." I, um, it seems strange to me, uh, you know, because they didn't think. They stopped it at the part where the book ends, mm-hmm. which probably feels okay in a book that you know you can go pick up the second book tomorrow. Right. But in the movies, I feel like they should have had some of that beginning of the second book in the end of this first one. You're not wrong. I think you're. I think that'd be. I think that would have been a good ending. A real good example uh, that I'm surprised we haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, really, is uh, the John Carter movie. Yes. Because they used elements from the later books. Mm-hmm. To kind of tie events together with the hope that they'd be able to make at least three movies, which they're not going to get to do, obviously. Uh, but that's a just crying shame because they did such a good job on that movie. Love that movie. That's a tight, you know, little fun mm-hmm. thing. I've heard some people talk about plot holes in it, uh, and uh, maybe there are. I'm, I'm, you know, again, I'm. I'm I've only not, seen it the once, but I don't remember anything. I've seen it two times, and I just. I am swept away by that world, you yeah, know, like yeah. I get lost in it. And so I may be totally missing some things, but I'll tell you that emotionally and uh, visually and just the actors are great. Like there's just such a good through line in that movie mm-hmm. of following these characters and what you're into about them, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's so many smart choices that Andrew Stanton made in adapting it. I think, you know, instead of sticking strictly to that first novel, princess of Mars, which right. isn't a bad book at all, but no, I'm I'm almost done with it now. Oh yeah, um, I read it maybe a year ago and just absolutely loved it. Um, I like, listened to it on audio as an audiobook actually. Yeah. I'm actually flipping back and forth. I've, I've got it on my iPhone as a book and uh, the audio, so I can <laughs> I listen to it while I'm driving and read it while I'm sitting down. <laughs> but the um, you know Michael Shabon came on and worked on the script with mm-hmm. Andrew and uh, the idea of those two guys like the Finding Nemo guy and mm-hmm. you know Michael Shabon collaborating on this book, you know, this film based on books that they both loved as children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so smart. And they, they felt because they had two of them there that were both fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew said in an interview that uh, if one of them thought a change was good, they would bring it to the other one. And if mm-hmm. the other one thought that it made sense, they you know, or was better. It. Yeah. Because they're two guys that just totally love that material. Mm-hmm. Um, but they felt totally free to change stuff. Cause John Carter in the books 
uh, doesn't have the same kind of qualms about fighting for people or anything. Right, right. He also is not uh, surprised when he's on Mars. He just is like, oh, I'm on Mars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a little disconcerting how quickly he adapts to it in the right. book. Right, which is totally fine for like a sci-fi book from 1912 that was 1912. That's what's so astounding you know, and, about that. Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, you're reading it in pulp magazines. It's super fun. Yeah. But uh, what they felt totally comfortable to do was to tell a movie story, you know, where... I love that opening sequence with Brian Cranston. Oh my god, he keeps trying to escape. So funny, like, I was laughing out loud. I was not expecting that sequence. <laughs> okay, so that's an exposition scene. Yeah. You're learning about the guy a little bit. It's such a like... great character se- uh, scene, too, <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's like, you're learning about the world, but you're also learning that here's a character who is going to fight no matter what. He is going to, you know, he, he tries He tries to punch the guy. He tries to jump out the window. Yeah. And they just keep moving along going, okay, we have trapped you. Now we can talk to you. He's so a, great. a natural fighter who bucks authority. You yeah, know? yeah. And, uh, and he's, he, there's this first hints of his, uh, his, the tragedy of his past, which is another oh. new invention for the movie. And I that love scene, that scene where he's when he fighting. he out that whole horde of, Oh my god, that's so good. surprising. Like this that movie was so surprisingly emotional for me. Like I was yeah. not expecting to feel that. When you when you see him standing there and the, the horde is running towards him, you're like, okay, he's gonna fight them. Yeah. And it'd have been so easy just to make an action scene, but they make it a character moment by cutting back and forth between the tragedy of him losing his uh his family and the yeah. fight that he's now involved in, and you kind it of cuts. realize what's oh pushing my him god. and why he's never going to lose his loved ones again, kind of a thing. Yeah. You're like, that's just phenomenal. And also, Woola is there. And <laughs> makes, I love Woola. <laughs> I see, I've said this online, but I have not liked a fictional animal in a movie this much since Falcor from The NeverEnding Story. <laughs> like, Woola is amazing. I want to get a dog now, yeah. and I've been perfectly fine not having a pet, you know? If you get on Xbox Live, you'll see my little uh, avatar has a Woola. <laughs> I do too! <laughs> I just got him yesterday. <laughs> that's awesome he replaced my Hulk hands <laughs> yeah I uh, I was looking that's <laughs> so funny I was looking on there because I've been thinking about getting a dog since I saw the movie Yeah, and so I've been looking I've got this app on my phone for looking at dog breeds and yeah. like pictures of animals that are available mm-hmm. and uh, so I was looking on that and then I was on the Xbox and I saw that they had pets and I was like oh I can look at dogs I could get and I was like, ah, I can't commit because I might get a dog and then it wouldn't look right. like, so I want to wait and make sure I know what I'm getting. And then I saw there's John Carter stuff and I was like, <laughs> that dog is great. Oh man, Kelly and I, we uh, we were laughing out. We were the only two laughing, but there was that scene where they get in the boat and Willa's left on the beach and Willa starts like moaning. She sounded, or he sounded just like our dog. Oh, like, the good. noises that that thing makes, You're like Andrew Stanton, your attention to detail. I love. Yeah, I, I heard in an interview he was talking about uh, just they, they just aimed for as much dogness as they could right. so that you'd care about him, and they nailed it. There's so much cool detail in that movie too. Um, not to get too bogged down in that, but like the, the, the when they meet the I think it's the Tharks, the little green guys, when they see yeah. the babies hatching. Yeah, you're like, this is clearly a Pixar guy. They just the way that those guys were animated, and they're immediately so filled with character. Yeah, and everybody's defo- eyes. Like, yeah. Everything. Well, it's like Sola, you know, the daughter. Uh, you, you, at no point in this movie are you thinking that these are dead-eyed, Mm-mm. animatronic kind of looking uh, CGI characters, which is the problem of the you know Star Wars prequels yep. and a lot of stuff they've done. It's like you know, I re- I'm one of the people that really liked Tron Legacy. Me too. Uh, yeah. All right. 
and a lot of people whining, complaining about uh, the CGI version of Kevin Flynn. You know, mm-hmm. like he, you know, and yeah, he's a CGI guy, and he yeah. doesn't look quite right. Um, but I will say, in this movie, you've got these alien characters. Their eyes are so alive. Mm-hmm. When Sola has an expression, or Tars Tarkas, you know, looks a certain way, you are. I mean, you, you seriously aren't sitting there thinking about him as a CGI thing at all because he's so believable. Mm-hmm. And also, they did a, made a really Andrew made a uh, Stan made a really good choice about having the world be dusty and Mars-like yeah. for current conditions, which wasn't yeah. the way it was in the books. Right. But that that level of sand is kind of permeating everything. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, if you if you ever spend any time in uh, dustier places in Africa, like yeah. Kampala, Uganda, or something, or even places in India that are drier you'll see on buildings and cars and everything there's just this layer of sand that doesn't wash away because there's not a lot of rain right and uh la's like that too actually (laughs) i was gonna say maybe not to that level but i spent a summer in arizona filming a movie once and it was just it it reminded me a lot of that it was just brown and yellow desert (laughs) kind of yeah film of dirt that (laughs) looks real you know and then the movie has that even on the characters and so you you believe that they're in that environment as as much as you have to know their cg because they're so you know strange yeah <coughs> and hunger games has none of that <laughs> like, <laughs> no like I, I think i think that's a very fair more fake than the tharks in the movie i think it's a very fair comparison to make because you have these two movies that both of them were really positioned or that john carter wasn't necessarily positioned to be a uh, a blockbuster but it had every right to be yeah, they you dropped know, the ball on that every Disney, way. Uh, frustrated me so much with that. Like, like a week or two before it's released, you start hearing these rumors that Disney's like, "Yeah, we're going to lose a lot of money on this movie." You're like, "Right? Why are you saying well, that?" <laughs> they made so many bad calls, and that's one of the the worst things about being uh, a fan of good films like that mm-hmm. is that the reviewers. Uh, the I think it's at like a little over fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which mm-hmm. is incredibly low for a film this good. Yeah. Um, usually I feel like Rotten Tomatoes is pretty dead on. And these two movies, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because Hunger Games was at like 90% <laughs> right. and John Carter was at 50 And I'm like, flip those, you know? I think, uh, I, honestly, I think what's happened is people haven't read one book and uh, they've read the other. And so they were well, filling in the mistakes for Hunger Games with their knowledge of what the books are. And they go, oh, cool. They included I, that part. They did, they did I agree. This. As far as the fans go, I totally agree. And the fan ratings for both those films are slightly different. Yeah. I think Don Carter's like at 70-something and, yeah. and Hunger Games is in the 80s. Because, so they're I mean, not that far apart there. For whatever reason, John Carter is a character, a, liter- a literary character who's been forgotten to time. If you yeah. said Tarzan, they'd go, oh, right, the jungle, right. Jane. Me well, Tarzan. It's, it's easier to make a Tarzan movie than a John Carter movie. Right, but they're but, almost the same. They came from the same guy, and you yeah. go, but people are like, John Carter, John Carter, I don't know. Well, most people I talked to thought, isn't that the kid from Terminator? And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's John Connor. <laughs> yeah, and I think they could have just done themselves a huge favor by calling the movie John Carter of Mars. Yeah, and that's what they had planned on doing. Uh, again, I've listened to like three or four interviews with Stanton, mm-hmm. but uh, he was saying that they did focus testing last year and people were turned off by Mars being in the title, so Disney asked them to drop it. And I was just like, that was a bad call. Yeah. Because there are people who saw the trailer and didn't know that it took place on Mars, that thought it was another Western-like yeah. uh, like uh, Cowboys versus Aliens, which 
you know, I didn't think was that bad. I, I, it wasn't like perfect or anything, but it was an enjoyable little movie. Yeah. Uh, but did horribly because people didn't like those two things together. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the marketing for this was just abysmal. Like yeah. I had read the book and when I saw the first trailer, I went, what now? <laughs> you know, and that was even good. I, I know it sounds silly, but I, I kind of wish they'd gone with John Carter and the princess of Mars. Yeah. Oh, you absolutely. Know, Why not? Kind of Indiana Jones style. Like, yeah. Let's have an adventure movie, and then you get in there, and it's like super sweet, and like a it's like a romantic film, and it's yeah. character driven, and it's like emotional and uh, scary and exciting and fun, and everything that I like. It's like a Joss Whedon project where yeah. it's just <laughs> yeah. slam humor and tragedy and everything all together. Yeah, ab- uh, absolutely. And because again, they made a lot of great decisions with John Carter, even to the point like Deja Thoris isn't just the damsel in distress wearing no clothes. I gotta tell you, that's what's been putting me off of John Carter stuff for most of my life. Like, I've always heard from people who had read the books that it was really good, and so I always had a positive opinion of it. Mm -hmm. But the terrible comics that uh, are coming out currently, yeah, uh, which again, I don't mean to diss anybody working on those, I don't know you, Uh, but the, uh, the fact that they're just covered with, every cover is like naked Deja Thoris. Yeah. It's just like such a, you know, turn off for me in terms of story you know what i mean like i just oh, assume absolutely. they're crap because absolutely. it doesn't work that many clothes <sighs> that 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 opens up a whole new discussion for me about the way women are portrayed in comic books but we can uh, <laughs> yeah. we can hold that off for if you'd like to for a, a let's later. save that for a whole episode because i yeah. got on that but yeah. <laughs> i will say with john carter disney uh I, well when we're talking about critics the critics Having read a lot of reviews, because I was really perplexed by the negativity of the reviews, mm-hmm. I will tell you, almost every first sentence of a bad review of John Carter starts with a discussion of the money they spent on it. Right. That has no impact on whether the film is any good at all. That's not a part of the job of the critic, and as far as I'm concerned, to talk about how much money they spent on it. It's Yeah, we're in such a weird place with movies right now where that's part of the discussion. I don't completely understand... I feel like the industry insider stuff has nothing to do with whether it's a good film. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to know that necessarily. It's like, it's kind of interesting, especially as someone who's interested in film. I am kind of go, oh, wow, you spent how much? That looks really good. Or where'd your money go? Because I don't see it on the film. They spent- it's like if, you're, if you were to re- read a review of a Tom Cruise movie that started with how he's a Scientologist. Right. Right. Like, I don't, I'm kind of weirded out by that whole aspect of his life. But, but he makes a, actor a lot of fun films. <laughs> that guy's a great actor. Yeah. And you should just judge the movie for what he does in the movie. You know? Have you you listen to Doug Love's movies? Every time, yeah. Have you listened to the new one with Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg? Oh, so good. Simon Pegg talks Benji. about Yeah, Simon Pegg starts talking about how on the set of Mission Impossible he started doing the Michael Caine voice yeah. and Tom Cruise had to do the Michael Caine voice too, and so they start going back and forth. Yeah, I was like, I like Tom Cruise. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> Scientology just seems no, there's, to me. There's a, he, he seems like a good guy, and you know, uh, everybody that talks to him says that he's great. So when it comes to entertainment and art, I really do have to kind of separate myself from right the the, the work from the person because I love Mel Gibson movies. I'll tell you my deal. <laughs> Um, I have such a hard time doing what you're talking about. Yeah. I think it's because um, I'm, <clears throat> I've gotten pretty wrapped up in the comic book industry. Like, I've been, uh, you know, 
pretty close to a few of the highest ranking people in comics mm-hmm. and uh some of them have let me down and uh some of them have turned out to be awesome you know right but then uh it really does color my opinion of their work and probably unfairly but it does when, when you well when you have a personal interaction or a personal relationship that does change things it, yeah i guess because uh, like with me like with me with mel gibson i only know about his weird personal issues because of, you know, the paparazzi or TMZ or whatever. Yeah. It's, a, it's as him, real or unreal as William Wallace <laughs> in Braveheart. With Mel Gibson, I'm able to watch pre-racism rant <laughs> Mel Gibson stuff. Right. Uh, and not post-racist rant Mel Gibson stuff. <laughs> right. It's like, for me, he, he wasn't racist before that. <laughs> right. Even though he probably, probably was. was a little bit. <laughs> sure, I'm sure he was. Like, it's, it's, you know, his dad and, you know, all his problems... But, like, all that stuff that I liked before, mm-hmm. I can still watch. And anything he's done since then, I have, I have no ability to get into None. it okay. all. Like, I didn't watch uh, Apocalypto or The Beaver or whatever. Both of those were actually surprisingly interesting. I've heard good <laughs> things about them, to be honest, but I, yeah. I just can't. Apocalypto was weird because it's clearly made by a Catholic. And I mean that with all the love in the world I have for all faiths of the world but there's a point at the end of the movie where you go oh i see what you're saying here <laughs> you know it's like you see this you see this uh culture at the end at the end of their life basically on earth and then the catholics show up at the very end of the film and you go you're saying this was they were doomed because they were christian that's terrible yeah, I, I. That's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's sorry. That's that's completely. That's a tangent. <laughs> uh, if only they had Jesus. <laughs> poor savages. Yeah, but yeah, uh, Mel Gibson, weird, weird guy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, John Carter uh, gets everything right, man. They, they again, Deja's costume in the movie. Obviously, she's not wearing a whole lot, but she's not wearing the kind of you know barely there you know metal trappings that they descri- described right. in the books. And in the books or in the, comic in the comics, books, her costume seems to be more um, in line with the, the whole culture she's part of. Mm-hmm. It's definitely this very Roman Greco kind of inspired yeah. togas and all of that kind of a thing. Um, <coughs> and sweet armor. Yo, yeah, it's it's re- all really great. So you go, okay, so she's just a person in this culture, so that's clearly yep. what she's going to wear. Um, as opposed to, yeah, because in the comics, they, I mean, in the books, they kind of make the point of that nobody on Mars wears any clothes except for the the jewels or decorations that they right. might wear. Um, and she thinks it's funny that, you know, earthlings are always, you know, hiding themselves under their clothes right. and their hats. And she's like, why do you do that? We can see you from here. You yeah. guys look ridiculous. Yeah. That's another thing they totally left out in the movie. Cause it's so strange, but in the books, you know, Martians grow up learning earth history because they've observed it through telescopes. Yeah. You know, that's and, crazy. Yeah. And the climax of the, the book is very, very different. Yeah. Like, there's a whole atmosphere storyline that has nothing to do with the movie yeah but i personally like it and i I would like to see more um adaptation going into the process of making these things because i think that's a way that you could really make people go back to the books you know which is what i'm kind of excited about movies like john carter movies like the hunger games even that ridiculous looking uh journey to the mysterious island that just came out it's like well hopefully some kid read watched that movie with the rock and went that's a book yeah. Let me see that book. You know, I do kind of hope that does happen. Um, I, I don't feel know. like with, uh, with, we were talking about the reviews, um, mm-hmm. you know, with John Carter, it's like, because Disney was already actively slamming it, mm-hmm. like, oh, we're, you know, we're gonna lose all this money. Yeah. 
people had a, a real reluctance to go see it because the trailers were so bad. And uh, one of the first ones, Andrew Stanton's fault, and because he just fought to make his own trailer. And mm-hmm. as much as he made a great film, he also made a terrible trailer. Oh, that, that first one with the Johnny Cash and the the what that song that's used in all the trailers. It's like that's a kind of like thing that if it came out after the movie as like a fan trailer you'd go oh so cool right with no introduction to the character it's meaningless you know or the context that these books take place in and speaking of fan trailers the fan trailers that came out around this were phenomenal there were a couple that just i was like why don't why isn't this released on in theaters this would make people go see this movie yeah the one that went into detail about the history of john parker and how it inspired things like star wars and superman such a good call yeah, uh, that's how they should have marketed this film. And I, I got a kick out of that. I don't know how many other people <laughs> saw that parallel, but the Superman parallel I thought was really kind of interesting. The yeah, you know, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster were reading these books when they were kids. You're like, guy who shows up on a different planet can leap tall buildings at single bound. Right. Done. <laughs> that, I mean, it's a hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, in the books, he even has a cape. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he talks about like covering Deja with his cape. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, man. That I feel like the reviewers you know, went in with this negative view mm-hmm. because I don't see how you could watch that movie and not think it was great. Yeah. And they just, it's like the speed racer movie, you know, people right. didn't like that. And that's like another phenomenal movie. That's totally underrated. Um, and this, I think this is more accessible than that. As much yeah. as I love speed racer, this is not, you know, bright colors and silly kids. It's yeah, like speed racer no, didn't no. quite work for me, but I never saw the cartoon. And so when I was yeah. watching it, I was kind of like, this is really like being on drugs, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but man, I love that movie. I, uh, let me finish this thought about the reviewers, though. So you got the, the, the guys going into John Carter with this negative attitude, and then they want to talk about, it's like there's a schadenfreude about how Disney spent money on a thing that didn't work, mm-hmm. and this is the first, you know, I guess the second thing from a Pixar guy that hasn't really worked because Cars 2 didn't do well, and then now this... Uh, didn't do well. And it's like, well, I mean, I think Cars 2 made money. It's just it wasn't reviewed. It did phenomenally well, but critics panned it. I'll tell you, I like it better than the first one. I didn't see the first. I didn't see the second one because I didn't like the first one. I didn't like the first one either. And I only watched the second one because I have, you know, a three-year-old. <laughs> but uh, the second one is freaking fun. Like, okay. it's just fun. It's not about, like, this, like, weird attraction to, like, Route 66 and... Old timiness. It's just like an action movie with like a lot of fun, and Mater is now the star of the movie, and well, yeah, Michael like the, Keane is like the supporting guy. So Lightning McQueen's kind of like the third level character. Interesting, because like to me, like it, the world just didn't work for me. Like yeah. I, I kind of walked away from the first Cars movie, going, "Now wait a minute, what?" Like yeah, I, I, maybe, I was, maybe I was thinking about it too much. But like going, the into- second one pokes more fun in it though. Okay, like, they have fun with like the idea of things. Like, uh, like uh, I think uh, there's a joke in there that's like uh, we've got it because they're talking about getting off of oil so mm-hmm. that they can go to electric cars. Right, and uh, it's like you know you know what happened to the dinosaurs and then like Mater's like what, what happened to the dinosaurs because <laughs> you're like in this world where there aren't things like that yeah and it's just kind of funny to think like uh, how does that work no exactly um, yeah that was that, that was my issue like, you go you go but, through toy story you go through bugs life and it's like here's this world that i understand and it makes sense they've thought these things out and the first cars movie i was like why are they racing why are they having kind of human type i don't understand from but, a, a 
a marketing point of view is is really the thinking of cars. It's like kids yeah. love cars. Oh, absolutely. Car, let's give cars faces. Yeah. You know. Um, but again, the second one, super fun. Michael Caine's like a spy action guy, so his yeah. car's all tricked out with stuff. Nice. And uh, it's just a blast. I got the toy for my kid. Um, but so John Carter, negative reviews, Schadenfreude about how it's doing, and then like this loving to put the $250 million number in the first sentence of every review. Mm-hmm. Those idiots. And then the Hunger Games reviews, I feel like critics were scared to be against it. Because mm-hmm. it's not like that great of a movie. Like it's okay. I, I mean, my problems with it are, are purely on trying to make it into a good movie. You know, right? It's not a bad movie. It, I mean, I've said it's a bad movie because I'm annoyed at it. But <laughs> it's it's yeah. a watchable movie. I saw it with an audience. I went with my wife and my brother in law and his wife, and uh, the audience I was with applauded at the end of it. You know, like yeah, yeah. People like the movie. Yeah. I have problems with the agency of the character and the costume designs are horrible, but. Mm. You know, people, I feel like the reviews are like, this thing's super popular. I can't review against it because people won't take me seriously. Right. Because everybody already says it's great. Right. You know, and I don't think that's been, I just feel like these credits are messing with my movies. (laughs) (laughs) I think they, I, there was a time, I don't know if critics understood the power that they have. And now I think they do. And I think it's a little terrifying because I think they do. I've seen this happen before. It feels like where you kind of go. Why? This was a good movie. Why is... Yeah. I don't know. I remember this... I know I'm in a, a silent minority or a very quiet minority about this movie. But mm-hmm. uh, Lauren and I, we went and saw Lady in the Water in the mm-hmm. theater. And we were halfway through it. And we turned to each other and go, why does everybody hate this movie? We, oh, you liked it? We both really liked it. And I know that's an unpopular thing. But we were sitting there going, this is a great lullaby of a movie. This is a, this is a bedtime story. You're not supposed to take certain things completely seriously this is a fun movie and I, we both really liked it and it was a movie that everybody hated <laughs> yeah yeah i i remember not understanding it but I, I i didn't really for me it was like uh tepid water like yeah. there's no i didn't have an opinion on it i guess yeah and that's i mean that's fair and i know i have a i'm in the <coughs> quiet minority of people who kind of liked it yeah. But again, it's, it, even then, it's not my favorite film of all time, but there's a certain charm to it that I really kind of respond to in that movie. Shyamalan's a weird case, you know? He is. Because <laughs> I, I really like uh, uh, three movies of his mm-hmm. that he did in a row. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you'd go like, if he stopped there, like, man, you'd just be like, that guy's a genius. Yeah. You know, because not everybody likes Signs or Unbreakable, mm-hmm. uh, but Sixth Sense was, I mean, it's pretty arguably a really good movie no and then uh unbreakable has some weirdness to it but uh i think it's really cool scenes in it though like i just i just actually posted a review of unbreakable because we we watched uh six cents again and we Uh were both kind of surprised at how really good that movie is it's just like a phenomenally well done movie yeah and unbreakable doesn't quite work as well right like that scene near the end where like he tells his son that he's the hero mm-hmm. is like one of the coolest scenes of all time. Yeah. No, I mean, both of those films build towards things making sense. Signs is the same way. And that's a case yeah. where I can watch Mel Gibson in a movie because it happened before his racist <laughs> rant. Right. I really like signs a lot. And I think, you know, it, you know, draws on the, uh, the tendency everyone has to see connections between things. Right. And, uh, the, the cool thing about the movie is it's kind of about, uh, faith in the unknown mm-hmm. and it's against aliens which is like the unknown thing yeah. they're suddenly known yeah. and you can view the movie as 
it is all coincidence and you just got lucky, dude. Or as it's like everything that went wrong in your life led to this moment where things go right. Yeah. You know, and I, I like things like that. Oh, I, I, I've told several people science is actually my favorite of his movies. Oh yeah. I really, I like that conversation. I like that discussion. I like how he kind of pulled it off. Yeah. Some of it's people poke fun at like, well, these aliens whose only weakness is water. They land on earth. (laughs) Everyone makes fun of that. But I mean, it's the, the aliens, as the threat is just kind of the thing, you know what I mean? It's like the MacGuffin. It's like yeah. War of the Worlds, you know, the novel that is, you know, so widely known. Mm. Uh, they just get germs and die. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, just it's like you know uh, the Indians dying because we have diseases they don't have when we you know, got here. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I oppress the Indians. Uh, oh. I have a lot of guilt about it. That's really unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. I wish you had told me that before the podcast. I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah our audience really actually responded really well to the hunger games when we went and saw it um we are actually kelly and i got there we went to a midnight showing and we're sitting there with two empty seats beside us and all of a sudden up the stairs comes a cat and uh fire starts walking up towards us and we're like are these people gonna and the cat's like hi i'm buttercup are these seats taken i'm like who's buttercup i've read these books and she's like i'm the cat Katniss is cat. She's the only character who survives all three books. Does she have a cat? Yeah. Mo- was it in, in the, the movie, movie? He, the cat is in one scene at the very beginning uh, when she goes out to hunt. She's like, I'll eat you. And the cat's like, meow. Oh, I didn't know that was her cat. <laughs> That's oh, her cat. And his name cat. is Buttercup. And someone dressed up as Buttercup. And why don't they eat cats in Hunger Games? It makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got like a source of meat just sitting around as pets. Like, you're, and you're cats not are evil, so. You're you not know. hungry enough if you're not eating cats. That's what I have to say. <laughs> uh, so, is there anything else you'd like to touch on? I feel like we've kind of we went around Hunger Games and John Carter and the process of adaptation. Yeah, um, um, I don't know. What are you What are you looking forward to? Anything good coming out? A little movie called The Avengers. I'm really yeah. excited about. Talk about a movie that looks like it's going to be adapted well. It ju- that just looks terribly fun. It's like yep. I like there's that and Batman are these two big movies that I think are going to be fighting for this summer. And oh, and there's Spider Man too, which is also coming out this. Yeah, I'm not as into the Spider Man. What I've seen, I'm going to uh, see it. Like I'm not going to yeah. not go see it, but. Sure. At the same time, I am kind of going, I'm okay with a new Spider-Man movie, a new Spider-Man cast. Yeah. I'm not sure we need the origin again. I know the origin is such an easy, great story to tell. Yeah, and they're actually going to be telling, it looks like, the ultimate universe version of the origin. I don't know if all your right. listeners read comics, but like in the Marvel Universe, uh, they actually have split off their own like little mini-universe called the Ultimate Universe that has less continuity and yeah. started in like 2001 or 2002 yeah. or something like that. And uh, they're telling that version of his origin, which is slightly different. But in some respects, you know, like he seems to have mechanical web shooters that he invents. Which, which is, is cool. Yeah. That's a thing that the original Spider-Man had in the comics. Uh, um, and the ultimate Spider-Man has. Yeah, and we're seeing characters like Gwen Stacy come into it, which is neat. And it's just some of that stuff I'm really kind of excited about, but I don't understand why we have to go back. You know, I yeah. wish they would just kind of go. And here's another kind of like James Bond. We don't need a strict <coughs> continuity between each of these movies. Um, we're just going to kind of keep on going and keep telling Spider-Man stories as long as we can. Yeah, well, I mean, if if you know, like, some stuff about Sony, like, they could have gone under if they hadn't made that Spider-Man movie. The right. first. Right. And uh, if, you, if you ever go to their lot, they've got this huge poster of Spider-Man because it's like, this saved us, we worship it. <laughs> right. 
and you know they just dragged those movies into the dirt you know yeah um it's really uh, unfortunate you know and so they've got a new spider-man movie coming out and i, I like the whole cast mm-hmm. i think dennis leary as uh captain stacy is probably the smartest thing yeah that's the fantastic. trailer is when you know andrew garfield oh i think it's a good choice for peter mm-hmm. is saying you know like maybe he's trying to do something the police can't and he's like, all can't can't yeah <laughs> that's good yeah like, i really like martin sheen as uncle ben just one word you know it's like there's like yeah the whole cast i think is great yeah, um just, but it is kind of get excited for it you know yeah it's like okay i'll i'll check it out um Martin Sheen, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Martin Sheen as Uncle Ben, I think, is really pretty awesome. I um, love the president. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's retired. He's taking care of his, uh, his nephew now. Okay. <laughs> they should, that's what I always do with Martin Sheen in movies, is I just assume that he's still the president. Oh, yeah. Ex-president uh, Jedediah <laughs> Bartlett is now uh, Uncle Ben. <laughs> I talked about that with Platoon, because uh, uh, the guy who plays Dr. Cox is in Platoon. Uh-huh. Um, and I kind of went, oh, so this is where he was before he became a doctor in Scrubs. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, <coughs> between the Avengers yeah. and the Dark Knight Rises, those are the two movies that I are that are really high on my radar right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm looking. I can't say which one I'm really looking forward to the most, but the Avengers definitely has more of my attention because I want to see if this shared universe works. Yeah, I'm you know, excited. We've about never that seen something quite right. like this before. Yeah, they've done it well. They've made it. I mean, since Marvel started their own studio, they have managed to make a Marvel studio, and it, it yeah. works. Yeah. And the idea of having all these guys who helmed, you know, you know, most of these guys who helmed their own movies, yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. It hasn't been done. Uh, they got the right guy to do it after DC didn't let him do Wonder Woman. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen his Wonder Woman. I still would. Well, and he got the girl he wanted to be Wonder Woman to come play Maria Hill. Yeah. You no, know, great call. Um, but with Spider-Man, I, I feel like... Uh, you know, we in the comic book world, we've just uh, the ultimate version of Peter has died, and we now have uh, Miles Morales for Avengers Two. Yeah, Miles Morales <laughs> Spider Man, who's the Black Spider Man, who is uh, like thirteen and going to a charter school. He gets bitten by a different kind of spider. He has slightly different powers and a really awesome costume. One of my favorite books right now. I've just yeah. so awesomely written. I I think it's that and it's one of my two favorite books I'm reading at Marvel right now. Mm-hmm. And uh it's what's, excellent and it's so fresh and new. What's your other one? Uh Wolverine and the X-Men. Oh. I have Wolverine yeah. is the headmaster of the Xavier school is so good. Holy cow, Those, Jason Aaron is knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Um, but those two books are about fun and going forward. A lot of comics world is always about going backwards, resetting things. I hate that. Oh my goodness! I was just—I just read an article about this uh, this morning. Someone was quoting Joe Casada about because this summer we're going to have for the first time the Ultimate Universe is meeting the mainstream Marvel right. universe. Peter and Miles are going to cross over, yeah. which is—I'm really excited about. I think that could be—it has a lot of cool potential. Um, especially the way Bendis writes his crossovers, they always do have long-lasting <coughs> ramifications. It's not just a one-off. Sure. But uh, people are looking back at s- something Joe Casada said maybe 10 years ago, saying there will never be a crossover. When you see a crossover, it's a sign that Marvel is fresh out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And then he also kind of, the next year, he kind of, I guess, was quoted at saying, well, hey, I'm the editor-in-chief. I get to change my mind. Yeah, you know. Um, well, I mean, they've done crossovers with the six one six universe before. You know, the Fantastic Four have crossed over. Um, did they? Because yeah. they crossed over with the zombie universe. Mm-hmm. Did they actually cross over with the six the six one six or the? 
Because that, that was the way the Ultimate Fantastic Four was written, where you thought it was going to be Reed Richards of our universe, and then uh, it turned out it was the Reed Richards of the Marvel's I thought universe. to defeat them at some point, they teamed they, up they with did. Reed. But I could be confused. That was years ago. Yeah. Um, but my, my comment to this is that what you were just talking about, like my frustration, that the crossover doesn't seem to be a, a the, the source of no fresh ideas. It's that no. constant refreshing, this... Yeah. In, this inability to let Peter grow up, this inability yeah. to go, well, that's why you don't have any more ideas. If you're keeping Peter Parker in this 24 age, and yeah. he has to be single, and this is all it's ever going to be, yeah. there's only so many stories in that moment of life. Well, and they, they're doing the same thing at DC, and you know, the new yeah. 52 is just a, a huge symptom of the problem. Yeah, It's like a, the, it went malignant. But it's not a new thing, you know. Mm-hmm. DC for years has been trying to convince you that Batman's under 30. Yeah, and, uh, and he's had a twenty-year-old, you know, twenty-five-year-old Dick Grayson. That doesn't really work anymore. No, that's what um, I'm saying. You, you've had four Robins, and it just. Yeah, I, I may have said this last time we spoke, but mm-hmm. you know, Dick Grayson is how you judge how much time's taken place in the DCU. Right, and it's about fifteen years because he's the first character to grow up, and you can really judge his life from being a, yeah. a Robin to in his twenties. You know, so unless Batman was. Fifteen, <laughs> yeah. When they first teamed up. Well, and so in the reboot now uh, with the new Fifty Two, they're saying that Dick Grayson didn't join uh, Batman until he was sixteen. Right. That's when he became Robin in this new continuity. Which is, and we've had four Robins since then. Like yeah. it doesn't make any sense. No, uh, it's so frustrating because they want to have a young Batman. That's dumb. Have a thirty-five-year-old or thirty-eight-year-old Batman and Superman. <laughs> They can be grown-ups, you know? It, the world likes Don Draper. He's a grown-up. You can yeah, have yeah. stories about grown-ups. I love the idea, and I've, I've kind of been feeling this way with... Uh, I love Superman. He's my he's my hero. Yeah. But um, I've been so frustrated with Superman comic books for the past, I don't know how many years, because the stories are so hit and miss. You have some people yeah. like Paul Cornell show up, and they get the character. Mm-hmm. Grant Morrison shows up and is astonishing just like yeah. this is so good um but then there's so many stories like the like the recent uh new 52 story just i stopped reading superman i'm still reading action comics yeah but even action comics and you know you're talking to like one of the biggest grant morrison fans out there mm-hmm. action comics is not that good and you're this is the guy that wrote my favorite comic book of all time all-star superman. and my second favorite comic book of all time and the, my favorite one is all-star superman yeah um and it's it's just a perfect superhero story. Yeah. But it, the reason why it works is that it it's, takes place in kind of the fan continuity, kind of the right. world that you know. The stuff you remember, but yeah. maybe incorrectly. If you've read all these Superman comics, as Grant Morrison has, this is the way you see Superman. Yeah. Action comics feels very forced. Like there's this new continuity and you got to kind of like make it work. Mm-hmm. And there's these choices he's trying to make to make him cooler or stuff, but it's not really hitting on all cylinders. Yeah. You know, there, there've been cool moments. Like, I, did you read the one where he got his new indestructible costume? I yes. guess when it reads his D de- like, it's just a white plane. And then it goes red and blue. And yeah. And the most recent issue, like that was it good. changed even more colors. Oh, did really, it? Yeah. Like there's, he's fighting Brainiac and he's, he's kind of smashing into these different bottles that contain different, um, civilizations and oh, what yeah. he does his suit changes color like there's like one time he he hits one and it becomes like green and orange with uh-huh. a different like a star of david symbol and there's like 
all sorts of weird things going on. That's awesome. I haven't read that one yet, but it's uh, the idea that it reads your DNA and kind of chooses what you look like based on your house and that yeah. kind of, you know what is important to you and your yeah. culture. I think that's just genius. Yeah. But for the most part, the book has felt really off for me. Even Grant, who's so good at writing like mm-hmm. hard hitting dialogue, yeah. I'm not seeing it. Like, there's a scene where I just thought it was comical that the editors didn't like catch this, but like Laura's like running up to the ship that they're about to put Kal-El into. Yeah. And, you know, in the destruction of Krypton. And she's like, I helped you build this. And it's like, that's not something you need to tell someone. You, <laughs> you know? It's right. Like you're telling me that. Tell yeah. me, you know, if you're, you know, had a construct in order to convey that to me, the reader, yeah. cool, but that's not how you do that. Right. And, I bring up Superman to say that I would be very comfortable with pushing him into the slightly more kingdom come Superman where he's, uh-huh. he is, the, he is the granddaddy. He is the father of all superheroes. Yes. Even if you don't want to make him white haired, make, maybe take him out a little bit, make him a little yeah. bit older. You know, he can still have his own book if you want, or maybe not. Maybe we retire Superman for a little while because people clearly don't know what to do with him as a, yeah. from a writing standpoint or from even audiences. There was a time Superman ruled the world and now it's clearly Batman. And I don't know if that's yeah. ever going to stop. And I know people have, what I hear from Marvel and from DC is that they want to keep their characters relevant to the readers today. Right. You know, so they need to be constantly teenagers that constantly 20 year olds or whatever. And I just, I don't see it. Cause like, like you said, people like Don Draper. People yeah. like, I like Tony Stark. These are people who are adults. I think there's a new cultural kind of shift because people, how old are you? 31. Me too. So people of our age, um, we've kind of grown up with so much teen aimed culture Mm -hmm. that we still think of ourselves as being younger than we are. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, at least I do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so having characters that are in their late 30s or early 40s mm-hmm. or even older, there's this stability and interestingness of the kind of things that you liked about teen characters when you were a child that you could mm-hmm. grow up and be a little cooler. Yeah. Um, you can still feel for an older character. I'm rewatching Star Trek The Next Generation right now. Mm-hmm. Dude, that show's great. But the, one of the things that I really like about it is how uh, stable and old Captain Picard is. Right. You know, like he's a grown up making smart decisions in a way that's inspiring. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It makes you want to be better. And I you said, know, Don Draper's not really a role model, but he right. has that kind of coolness that is, uh, I think, what people are attracted to about him. I said, well, I, exactly what you just said was what I, I told Lord when we walked out of Iron Man and Iron Man 2 was like, I like it that we have a movie about adults. Yes, yeah. he's an immature, whatever, he's got issues. Yeah. But I like it that he's still somebody that kids can look up to and I can kind of look at and go, if Tony Stark can pull himself together, yeah, I should be able to. <laughs> that first one in particular is is, yeah. uh, is a really good little superhero movie. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it came out, I guess, the same year as Dark Knight. It did, yes. And uh, they were both great. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, kind of shows the difference between those kind of characters, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what makes them... Uh, really click for audiences. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I would love for people, it's hard for people who don't read the comics to see how well those are adapted. Yeah. But it's there. They did such a great job of picking and choosing which elements of the story they're going to focus on, which elements of the story they're going to completely abandon. Right. They're going to update. Um, 
like just a little things like not having Jarvis be mm-hmm. a actual butler. It's mm-hmm. like you don't need Jarvis there. This is fine. Yeah. You're doing great. <laughs> you know, keep on going. And that's why I'm I'm super excited about the Avengers. But the Dark Knight Rises. Here's my thing about Dark Knight Rises right now. I love what I'm seeing with like Catwoman was just released, and I loved her costume. I'm curious about the gun. Earlier, Mm -hmm. it's just a high res photo now. Yeah, like I feel like this is the first time we've really been able to see her whole costume. Going, okay, this is what we're looking at here. Um, This is I can see how the ears kind of work, and they're not really ears. I think they're like her infrared goggles flipped down or something. Um, Really, I think that's what I heard. Like, Mm. like they look like ears, but they're not actually. She's not really wearing like cat ears. That's what I, I heard. I like someone's theory that uh, that it's a torn Batman mask that she's cut up. Oh, that's cool. That because it goes the ear part goes down from the back over like uh, mm-hmm. her head a little bit and then to you know her eye area. Oh, that's I would like that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that would, like if she steals Batman's mask, that's a very personal kind of yeah. Piece. That could be really cool. That could be really neat. Though my fear right now is still Bane. I'm not sure how he's going to be as a villain, at least the way they're choosing to portray him, it looks like. His mm-hmm. voice, like, I saw the prologue in front of Mission Impossible 4, yeah. and I liked, it was, it was an amazing sequence. Did you yeah. get to see it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, I've never seen a stunt like that on film before. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah, Chris but, Nolan. Yeah, but, like, Bane's voice, I kind of go, I think I know what he said. Did it, I'm, I'm just, I'm a little worried, and I'm not sh- I'm yeah. not sure he's going to have the impact that the Joker did. I haven't uh, had any... I'm, I agree. I don't think it's going to be Joker level. But I am a huge fan of the character mm-hmm. and the changes they're making. Because Bane... The thing that people don't realize, I think, if they watch the cartoons or uh, the obviously... The Batman, <laughs> Batman Robin. Robin mm-hmm. Which is... Uh, not my least favorite of those films. Um, <laughs> we talked about but, that last time. <laughs> Batman and Robin, man, it's more fun than a lot of them. But the um, <laughs> the problem with Bane in those things is that he's just a physical threat, right? Uh, whereas, and, and on some of the animated stuff, they managed to get a little bit of that in there. But because you got to get it through in a half hour, it's always comes down to he's got to fight. Yeah. Um, in the comics, when Bane was introduced. He actually was a criminal mastermind. Yes. I mean, he had the physical threat as well with the venom serum that would make mm-hmm. him super, super strong um, and giant. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the real thing was how he methodically took down Batman by releasing criminals from Arkham, right? Organizing things behind the scenes with his team, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's the kind of thinking we're going to see, you know, in the film. I think that would be great. Well, that's what it looks like. I mean, the trailer, it just looks like he's got a plan. Yeah. And uh, whereas in a lot, you know, it's not like the Cylons on Battlestar Galactica who didn't actually have a plan. They were just programmed to think they had a plan. As revealed in the movie, The Plan. Ooh, man. Um, <laughs> Love that show. Love that show. And then, like, The Plan just fell so flat. You're like, so you didn't have a plan or your plan was love? Wait. Why did you make this movie? <laughs> yeah, they, they did not know what they were doing. Well, I mean, it's like as soon as that, that show ends, the last episode, you're like, oh, you didn't know what you were doing at all. Okay. Well, yeah, and that was – a friend of mine actually literally just this week finished watching Battlestar Galactica for the first time. Uh-huh. And so we were talking about that, and one of the things that came up in our conversation was the way that show was written, uh-huh. which was very organic, you could call it, where there wasn't they, – they had certain plans. Like they always knew they were going to get to Earth. Yeah. But – 
they let conversations on set and they kind of went, you know what really worked in that episode? The fact that Adama doesn't like that person. Let's explore that. Yeah. And so that's how the next episode would be written and the next and the next. It wasn't like this really strong structure. Yeah. They, they, they had good ideas and uh, the look of the show was obviously pretty cool mm-hmm. and the cast was great. But it, I mean, you know, towards the end they had so many filler episodes. I yeah. think a lot about how if they'd have canceled the show like, you know, total, we'd all be upset, but if they'd have canceled the show in the episode Starbuck came back, <laughs> and then, you know, just left you hanging, yeah, we'd all be like, you gotta watch this show. Yes, it cuts off, but it's the best show ever. Whereas the way it ends, you're like, yeah, I never need to see this again. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and also, the, my favorite period of uh, that show was when they were on the planet. Mm. And uh, I, my buddy... Like beginning just, of, like, episode three, or season three, where... Baltar's president and all that. Yeah, I think that's right. When they're, yeah, they're on a new planet and the Cylons are in control and the people are oppressed. Mm-hmm. My, uh, I was, I only watched the show because my buddy Jason Horn, uh, who does really good comics, uh, talked me into watching the show. And uh, as soon as that happened, oh, I see you have a copy of Ninja Store. <laughs> Very good. And NinjaStore.com, everybody. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the di- the episode aired. You know where they're on the planet, and Jason was like, "How many episodes until they reset this in such a way that you will never know that this happened?" <laughs> you know, right. and right. it was like like four, five. <laughs> you know? Yeah, everybody's back on their ships, and everything's okay, and everybody's lost weight and shaved, and everything's okay. That was actually that very that that is a big problem I have with television, uh, yeah. with a lot of television shows. Kelly and I were just talking about this last night because uh, we both uh, rather guiltily enjoy Glee. And mm-hmm. it's a show that has a lot of, when you watch a, a single episode, it has a lot of good comedy. It's got some great music, mm-hmm. fun cast, but the writers clearly don't have a big picture in mind. Yeah. And like the, it's just, sometimes it's just perplexing because it wants to have it both ways. It wants to have a big soap opera drama that carries right. through the seasons, but it's really written like a sitcom. Yeah. I actually stopped watching it midway through last season. Yeah. When I'm, I just got I'm, to the point where everybody had changed kind of alliances and people I'm, were dating, and at this point, how do you even know who anybody is? After you know? last night, I think I'm kind of done. Especially oh, yeah? that Smash is out, and Smash has kind of stolen my Glee attention. Yeah. Um, because, I've to avoid Smash. <laughs> because it's actually, it, it, that's a separate conversation. I really like Smash. Yeah, I've heard good things. Um, but uh, Glee, last not this most recent, but the one before that, it ends with two characters about to get married, and another one getting smashed in her car. Like, you uh-huh. see it, like, she's driving, and you see the truck coming through the window. Bam, gets hit, cut to credits. Somebody's got to go do some movies. And then in the next episode, um, <coughs> it begins with, so I know we didn't get married because she got hit by the car, but what do you think about this? And all of a sudden, it's like, we're right back to where we were three episodes ago. And the character who got hit by the car shows up at, in high school in a wheelchair going, this is really the best day of my life, guys. You shouldn't feel bad for me at all. And I was oh, like, that's crazy. What? Like they had, if, even if that's where they wanted to go with the story, yeah. I feel like we just missed two really great episodes of like drama in the hospital. Yeah. People hanging out going, I don't know if she's going to live. I don't know if she's going to die. And it's just, just it's so tumultuous high school experience. It, it really is. It's like, it's really kind of frustrating. It's like, I don't know if I have the time in my week anymore to give you an hour. If it's just going to be reset every two episodes, yeah. it's like those really tight continuity arcs frustrate me. I really liked it early on because of uh, Kurt's dad. Oh, Kurt's he was great. Favorite character on the He's show. still like maybe my favorite TV dad of all time. He's really, yeah. really phenomenally written. I think, uh, uh, 
Mr. Mars from Veronica Mars is uh, my favorite oh, dad. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I really like Kurt's dad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I bailed on that. And it's one of those things that happens on a lot of shows where they're really popular all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And they have to keep doing stuff, but they don't know what to do. Yeah. yeah. Like Lost uh, was a show that I was uh, just like diehard. Season one, loved it. Season two, I even liked that. And a lot of people didn't. And then uh, it just started not knowing what to do. And so by the end of it, every character had changed alliances and back and then back again and then back again at the point where you're like, well, who do I care about in this thing? And why? <laughs> like, and... Mm-hmm. You know, it's another show that, like Battlestar, it ends so weirdly and poorly that you're like, well, I guess I shouldn't recommend this to anybody. <laughs> it didn't go anywhere. You know, uh, it's disappointing. I, the, the, one of the things that uh, someone told me when I got started uh, in comics, I guess when I was going to school for comics, mm-hmm. was that when you write a story, you should know the ending first. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the most important thing to know, not who your characters are or what they're about or where they're from or how they get to the ending. The first thing you got to know before you can even start writing it is the ending because everything has to build up to that. If you look at the um, the first Star Wars movie, you know, A New Hope, everything builds to the Death Star. And it's so cool to watch, you know, that finale. Everything's there and it matters, you know, because you've built up to it. Whereas a lot of things, like that was the thing with Hunger Games, is it just kind of, you know the games have to end, and you know that your lead is going to survive it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. She was also rated the highest, and she wins. You know, it's just like everything is just telling you that's going to happen, and there's no doubt about it mm-hmm. at any point, you know? Mm-hmm. I find that, like, super boring. I also saw it. Uh, I, I went to go see it, you know, like I said, with my brother-in-law and uh, my wife. And uh, we had some time before, like a lot of time before that movie. So I was like, let's go see John Carter. So I saw it a second time so my wife could see it. Mm-hmm. And so I just watched John Carter for the second time, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then got into Hunger Games. I was like, <sighs> something happened. You know, like she even gets the Mockingjay pin just because. Yeah. <laughs> There's no meaning in any of the events. It's. And again, you know, that's a stylistic choice in the book. That's fine. People clearly like them, but it's just so weird. It was, yeah, the pin was different in the book. I mean, there was, oh, yeah. a, there was it an attached meaning. It wasn't just an old lady who randomly gave it to her? No. It was like, the, it, it was the daughter of the mayor gave it to her going, here, take this. And I don't know if the discussion takes place in the first book or definitely in the second book. You find out it's like the symbol of the rebellion and it's actually a really big deal that she's wearing it. And it's kind of... I don't know. There's no. It's a hard way to describe it, but it's like the fact that she's wearing it in the games is offensive to the entire capital. Well, they should have maybe mentioned that because that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like they left out anything cool. <laughs> that's a bad call, Gary Ross. Yeah. So I kind of hope I would love to see someone like Brad Bird for a book for movie two. You know, somebody. You know, who gets you know movies in a big way? Who gets the little details and how they. You're going to pick one of my favorite storytellers to follow up this movie that I couldn't stand? I would love to. No, but that's the kind of thing. It's like, I do think this, what is cool about this world, especially as you see it in the books, is it has a lot of potential. There's a lot of interesting things that can happen in that world with those characters. And I would love to see them embrace a larger, even larger audience. I'm sure they're not really 
crying that a couple people didn't like it, you know? No, no. And I mean, the movie's, I mean, it's made, but I would love this is the third highest grossing opening of all time. It's been number one the past three weeks. You yeah. Know? But I mean, the opening weekend was the third of all time, the highest of any non-sequel ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think, but I would, I would love to see, I would love to see the future uh, movies be pushed even further so that it really is kind of like, it's kind of hard to argue. You know who that. they should get? Who? They should get Alphonse Cuaron. Oh, yeah. Came in and saved Harry Potter. Totally, totally rescued that franchise in a way that all the subsequent directors just ripped off his vision. Mm-hmm. Just get him to save Hunger Games. That would be pretty phenomenal. I hadn't thought about him. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I, I, I'd go back for that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll probably watch all the movies. I, I have a pretty high tolerance for watching things that are popular mm-hmm. in order to kind of understand them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen all the Twilight movies. I saw the first one, and I kind of went, I get it. I'm not on board with this. Man, they are pretty awful. <laughs> Just amazingly bad. This is like the worst. I mean, that's the thing, too. In all my criticisms of Katniss and what they've chosen to do with her, uh, nothing compared to how god-awful Twilight and Bella are. It's like the worst. And But I will tell you this. Having read the synopses for the, the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. just like Twilight, she gets with the wrong dude. It makes no sense. I don't know what it is, but I'm on... Is it Gale yeah. and Jacob? They should team up and go kick the asses of the dude. Because <laughs> those guys suck. Uh, you and I are on different sides of this argument. Edgar, I mean, Edward's case kind of literally sucks. <laughs> That's an obvious joke, but I would. <laughs> it works. It made me laugh. Are you are you are you on Team Edward also? Uh, no, I am Team Not Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's popular with the hipsters and everybody else to kind of really hate on Twilight, but I just can't get on board with almost anything that I've seen of it and what I hear about like when when fans of the books go oh no but the books are so much better because this this and this oh, i go well, here are my problems and i list my problems i go if those aren't in the books yeah, i'm yeah. on board and they go well no that's the story i go well okay <laughs> most of my problems with hunger games are the problems of twilight it's just that they're so much worse in twilight like uh hunger games uh i've, I've read a few pages of it mm-hmm. uh because i have it <laughs> I, I just got distracted by reading john carter right, right. um but it's written well, at least, you know? It is. Whereas Twilight is, like, written by a middle schooler or something. Like, they are so... Like, every sentence is is a poorly written sentence. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not how to use words. <laughs> right. That's you don't know heard. what sentences look like. You know? <laughs> I mean, no joke. Like, it's... I used to... Um, let me brag a little bit at you. Like, I had a, a near-perfect uh, verbal SAT score, and... Uh, the uh, I used to proofread papers for people in college, you know, mm-hmm. to get them a letter grade higher with just proofreading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Twilight is an F. <laughs> like the idea that there's people that work on those to make them good is just ludicrous to me because they're terrible. And that's you know that's aside from all the problems of the plot and the character not having any agency and it being mostly a story about how abusive relationships are good for you. Right. <laughs> ridiculous i just I, i've talked about this before on the podcast i think but i kind of have a preferred vampire metaphor that i kind of subscribe to and if you're going to throw out so much of it to the point where there, this character is no longer a vampire to me right. and i know that's been said before but it's like really can we just call him a mutant can we call yeah. him anything else because he resembles an x-men at this point more than he resembles 
anything I've ever read from Bram Stoker on down. I mean, yeah. even down to Anne Rice, who had a lot of freedom with the characters. Yeah. This doesn't... This, well, I, I'm not comfortable <laughs> with this evolution of, the, of this creature. It's just, this isn't interesting to me anymore. I would say that the, uh, the best vampire romance thing was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Absolutely. So Seems like... Yeah. Uh, everything. Yeah, that you know, that's another thing. It's like that spikes a character you hate, mm-hmm. but with writing, they made you like him. Mm-hmm. I love things like mm-hmm. that. Like, uh, yeah, he was a character introduced in like the first or second season to be a one and done bad guy. Yeah, so well written, so well acted. They kept bringing him back to the point where he is part of the main cast mm-hmm. three or four seasons later, and is. Yeah. And, and a great anti-hero. A, a real journey, you yeah. know, that made sense for who he wanted to be. Yeah, know? I loved his the final final episode where he kind of has his final moment is really kind of beautiful in its own kind of funny, oh, I love cheesy it. sort of way. Yeah, love it to death. Uh, I'm, I don't read the comics or uh, I read the first the couple stuff. of arcs, but I haven't followed it really. Yeah, I tried to. It's it's difficult for me, you know, to read comics based on TV properties. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with the creators involved, it's just hard to. I know it's not the case for a lot of people. Yeah. I, you know, at the comic shop, we sell a lot of that Buffy stuff, and I'm glad it's there. It's just. Yeah, I do read the Doctor Who. I do. That's what I'm on my pull <laughs> yeah, list. Yeah, I'm off and on with the stuff, but I've read mm-hmm. a few of Tony Lee's arcs, and I, I've been, I read. Uh, uh, I've been reading the uh, Josh Hale Fialkov's. Uh, yeah. Casablanca this, arc. This has been a lot of fun. This arc. I just got to meet uh, Matthew Dell Smith, the artist on that, this last weekend at uh, Emerald City Con. We were sitting nice. like tables from each other, and then the colorist on that book is actually a buddy of mine from SCAD. Oh wow! We went to school together. Everybody came out of SCAD that I, I'm meeting and liking. It's really yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, there were good times back then. <laughs> All right, man. I think it's probably about time to wrap this up. I think we've meandered through things kind of long enough. Um, but just to kind of give our listeners a little bit of a, a heads up, I know you and I have been talking off this podcast about launching a uh, The Last Podcast on Earth or... The Last so, Cast. The Last Cast, yes. Um, so uh, keep your ears and eyes tuned for that. That might be coming your way this summer or so, um, yeah. if we can get our stuff together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, please uh, continue to check us out at moviesyoushouldlove.com and... Uh, Dean, where can people find you? What are you working on right now? Is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, I'm almost done with Power Lunch Book 2. Book 1 is in stores now. And it's uh, fantastic. And when I wrap that up in the next week or two, I'm going to get back to posting more new uh, butterfly strips at the cool. butterfly website. And uh, I'm at deantrip.com. Very cool. When, uh, do you know when Power Lunch Volume 2 is coming out? When that'll be? I think it'll either be fall or winter. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. So other than that, uh, deantrip.com, they can find butterfly, they can find everything I need to find for you cool yeah there's links to my tumblr and all sorts of stuff and that's Dean Trip with two p's and an e yep <laughs> cool uh, well thank you again and uh, we'll get this podcast up as soon as we can and then we'll get back into the regularly scheduled movies you should love uh, movie reviews thank you so much for joining us today Dean thank you you've been listening to the movies you should love podcast join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com 